you today again and just able to have this day which is uh, just an extra special day as we remember the birth of your son on this Christmas day, Lord. We, we think of this song we just sang and Lord, we know that on that Christmas it, it was God with us, that, you've been, that you're with us each and every step of our lives and Lord, you're here. You came to dwell with us. We couldn't reach you, so you came to us, Lord. And I pray today that as we reflect on your word, we reflect on the name of your son, Jesus, that we would just remember again that this day is so much more than what the world says it is, that this day is a day in which we can celebrate and remember that you came to be with us. And I thank you so much for that this morning. I pray that you would bless our time, that you would open our hearts to hear your well, I trust everybody's had a, a very blessed Christmas morning so far. Uh, talking to some of you, some of you have already celebrated with your family. Some of you are still waiting. Uh, some families like ours, our kids were running around upstairs around 5.30 to 6, yelling down the stairway, Mommy, Daddy, it's Christmas. Yeah, we know. Let us go to sleep. Give us a present. But um, many of us, maybe you had the chance to maybe sleep a little longer or maybe you haven't quite done all your festivities, but... Uh, it is a great honor to be able to be here. You know, it's always interesting when Christmas falls on a Sunday and how everything works out, but the more and more I think about it this year, it's what a better what better place to be than to be at church to celebrate with you the birth of Christ. See, typically we get to spend our, our Christmases with our with our families, right? But I feel like this morning we get to spend Christmas not only with our blood families, but also our spiritual families. So it's a great privilege and honor to be here with you. Uh, and it's, uh, I just want to say to everybody, before we get started, Merry Christmas. And uh, it, thanks. Love you too, Benny. Even though, you, even though we don't show it, we love each other. Uh, but today I want to take some time and I want to look at God's word as we come together on this day that we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And I want to take some time to specifically look at the name that Jesus was given when he was born. See that the title of this sermon is, What's the Baby's Name? That's one of the main questions that is asked of a new father or mother. They go into the hospital and, and the baby is born and there's two things people really want to know. It's, is it a boy or a girl? And then what did you name the baby? And of course, if it's healthy, that's the first thing. But uh, did you have a boy? Did you have a girl? And then what did you name the baby? You know, I remember when we were naming our kids... Uh, Josiah, we had already talked about for a long time. We, we love that name, and, and actually the root word for that name we'll talk about later. But uh, we love that name we wanted, and the uh, middle name was easy. It was a family tradition being passed down from my dad and his dad and myself, and he got Kenneth thrown in there, and uh, that was easy. Uh, Mariah came along, and honestly, we struggled over the name. I don't know what it was. We came up with about 20 different options for what we were going to name her, and None of them sounded right. About, I would say, maybe a few weeks, maybe a month before she was born, uh, we settled on Mariah, and we're you know, happy for that. Uh, and then Noah was actually the one that we struggled with up until basically the last day. We had, we, we, we had several options, but we wanted to get it right. And I don't know, you've heard stories maybe of some parents who name their children and then actually have to go back and rename them. I've seen that happen before. Um, because we see that a name is an important thing. Uh, that when a parent names their child, it's going to reflect the family. It's going to reflect the family a lot. That's why we see middle names and first names and sometimes juniors and thirds and fourths and fifths and so on because we want to carry on the family name. We want to carry on what our family stands for. 
And that's important. And also, the name that we give our child is what they're going to be called uh, for the rest of their lives. And uh, many of us don't want to curse our children with a name that gets picked on as they grow up. So you've got some questions. You're thinking, what do I name my new baby that reflects our family, that is so important, and then also this is what they will be called for the rest of their life? It's an important decision. And the parent makes it for the child. The child can't make its own decision on what it wants to be named. Uh, So uh, this is what we see happen in today's world. Now today, names are important. The name that you've been given by your parents was given for a specific reason in most cases. But in Bible times, actually, names were even more important than they are today. In Bible times, your name was everything. Your name was absolutely everything to you. That's why we see in in the Bible, as we go through the Old Testament, God changes people's names. Because he understands that a name is more than just reflecting on family heritage, and a name is more than just what you're going to be called, but your name is actually who you are. And God understood that, and that was what they understood even in Bible times and even into Jesus' time, that a name said more than just, hey, this is who my family is and this is what I'm going to be called. It said, this is who I am. See, in Scripture, a person's name is their identity. In Scripture, a person's name is their absolute identity, who they are. It reflects everything about them, their character, their role in life, their status, their authority, Just by hearing their name and knowing their name, you can know who a person is when you look at Scripture. That their life will be marked by whatever their name may be. That's how important it was. See, it was truly more than just an identification. Now, if we were to do that today and you were to call me Ken, you know what you'd be calling me. Some of you might know. You'd be calling me handsome. And I appreciate that. (laughs) But not all names are true like mine. So... No, and this is a total aside. I don't even know why I'm saying it. But Josiah, by the way, in a minute we're going to look at the root name for Jesus, which is the same root as Josiah or Joshua as well. And it's uh, God will save. And we'll look at that in just a minute. So if you think about my name being handsome, Josiah, it's actually, if you translate his name, it's God will save the handsome. Um, I, I, God will save more than the handsome. I hope. I hope. But anyway, that was totally off. Anyway, let's get back to it. So anyway, though, the point is here. The name was the identity of the person in Scripture. And actually, another illustration that I can use to this, because sometimes we don't understand how important a name is. The name carried the full weight of who a person was, the full authority of who a person was. It's very similar to today. If if you were to be doing something illegal, which none of you would, but if anybody was and a, a policeman were to come and, and say, stop in the name of the law. Now, are they saying that that little word law, L-A-W, actually is what's going to stop you from doing what you're doing? Absolutely not. When they say stop in the name of the law, they're saying stop for the sake of everything that the law stands for. You are breaking the law. Everything that the law is about, you are breaking right now. You need to stop doing it. And that is the idea. A name carries the full authority, the full person, the full identity of someone in Scripture. And so when we say the name of, it's important that we understand that because you probably know if you've read Scripture enough that there is a lot of mentions of God's name. You know, even from the Ten Commandments, you should not take God's name in vain. Uh, Going on throughout the New Testament, Jesus talks about believing in his name and praying in his name. That phrase, in his name, is used... uh, Actually, over a hundred times I looked it up this week. 
So this is an important concept for us to understand. It's not just about identification. It's about identity. There's a difference. See, the Son of God, when he was born here on Christmas Day, was given three names. Three names were given to him at his birth. And each one of these three names is going to tell us something about his identity that was given to him straight from God the Father. So as we look today, we're going to break down three names that Jesus was given. Now, we know in prophecy, we could go back into Isaiah, and there's many other names that are given to Jesus. But we are going to concentrate on three main ones that we see, and three main ones that we think about when we come to Christmas. Uh, And each name does reveal who he is. Each name reveals who he is. And so we need to take this into consideration as we look at the Christmas story, as we see Jesus being born, and we see Mary and Joseph are given the task then of naming their child, but actually we see that God names their child. God comes to Joseph, and in just a second we'll see that, and he tells Joseph uh, that to name his child Jesus, which is our first name. His first name, the first name we're going to talk about, the Son of God, is Jesus. This is the name we hear most often, uh, sometimes in well-meaning ways, sometimes it's used as a curse word, but we hear Jesus. Jesus is his name. When Jesus is born, that is the name that is given to him. The definition we'll look at in just a minute. Actually, we already mentioned it, but let's go to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 where we see this. <clears throat> In Matthew chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 18 and look through 21. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And we know that when Jesus was born, this is the name that they gave him, Jesus. Now, although Joseph and Mary named him Jesus, it was God who instructed Joseph to name his son, God's son, Jesus. And here in this passage, we see a little glimpse of why. But the name Jesus, the root for it in Hebrew, uh, is the Lord saves, or Jehovah saves, or Yahweh saves. The Lord saves. This is an interesting concept as we see that when the Son of God is being born into this world, he's given the name, the Lord saves. Yahweh, God saves. And he's given that name right from the very beginning because he will see, we will see that he saves mankind from their sin. He saves mankind from their sin. In Matthew 1, 18 through 21 here, we are told, it says, you will name him Jesus, and it says, for he will save his people from their sins. This is a promise that is given. It's a prophecy really given that when this baby is born that we're celebrating today on Christmas, that baby that is born is going to save people from their sins. This is, he's going to save his people, those who come to him, those men who come to him. He is going to save them because as a man himself being God in the flesh, which we'll see later, he is able to save them. He is able to give his life, as we looked at last night, if you were with us for Christmas Eve, die on the cross for our sins, for my sins and yours, so that we could be saved. 
so that we could have salvation or deliverance. You see, Jesus is not just a name that we call the Son of God. Jesus means something. It's his identity. He's a Savior. What is he saving us from? He's saving us from sin and death that has overtaken our world. The sin that came when Adam and Eve chose uh, to go their own way. The sin that continues every day we choose to go in our own way. And that sin has caused us to get to a point where we will face death. Death in this life and death in the next. Separation from people, but also separation from God in hell. And that is what we deserve because of the sin and death that's come into our world from the beginning. But yet, we are given deliverance or salvation from that punishment that we can have a relationship with God yet again and live with Him forever. That is what we are saved from. We see that Jesus will save mankind from their sin. It's His people. Once again, this is an active promise of salvation. Jesus' name is an active promise. He will save. God will save through Jesus. He is Savior. All right, his second name that we're going to look at this morning is found in another passage. We're actually going to go back to Matthew 1. So if you want to keep that, your finger there, or a bookmark, that would be great. But we are going to turn over to Luke chapter 2. This is another classic Christmas passage in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we're going to be starting in verse 8. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. Uh, And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. See, this is part of the Christmas story that I'm sure you're familiar with. Uh, this is even, even if you watch the Peanuts Christmas, they talk about this part. You know, Jesus is being born. He, he's born in Bethlehem and the angels come to the shepherds who are watching over their sheep and tells the shepherds about what just happened in the stable. That what just happened as God's son was born in the lonely manger. And, and that is what happens and this is what the, the angel tells them. And he says, look, uh, I bring you good tidings of great joy, right? And then he says this. The angel says this. Um, for today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior. Remember, that's the same idea as Jesus, who is Christ the Lord. Here we see the second name that the Son of God is given when he's born, and that is Christ. That's hence why we call him Jesus Christ. It's not that Christ was necessarily his last name. It's just one of his names. Jesus Christ. Jesus is Savior. Christ means anointed one. Anointed one. If you know uh, history, you know that somebody who is anointed is someone who is anointed with power or a king, a ruler. And so we see the second thing about Jesus based on his name. We see Jesus is Savior. Christ is anointed one. He is king. We see that Jesus is king and master over all. Jesus is king and master over all. If you want to look at Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, we won't turn there necessarily. But that verse says, Jesus himself says, all authority has been given to me. And the idea there is that God has given Jesus Christ all authority. He has the authority to rule and to reign over this world. He is the anointed one that has been sent. 
And notice here when it says Christ, it doesn't, there's also a little other part of this. It's Christ the Lord, King and Master, King and Lord, rule over all and is master over everything. That's what we're told who Jesus is. Remember, this is his identity. The Son of God is Savior, but the Son of God is also King and Lord. And so that's important that we understand. Not only is he coming to save us from our sins, but he's going to do it as a powerful ruler that will rule over all. Everything we see and know, he is ruler. And so that's the first couple names, Jesus Christ. Now here's another one that we often hear about, we actually just sang about. And I think this is actually a name that encompasses both of the other because without this name, the other two couldn't even be true. Jesus couldn't really be a savior or really be a king unless this third name was true of him. And we don't call him this name very often because we're so typically just calling him Jesus or Jesus Christ. But this name is so vitally important that it was foretold 600 years before his birth by Isaiah. And that is found back in Matthew chapter 1, as this is referenced. Back in, back in Matthew chapter 1, we're going to go back to 21, and it says this, and, he, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now this all took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. You see, his third name is Emmanuel. His third name is Emmanuel. His first was Jesus, then we had Christ, and now Emmanuel. And what does this mean? The definition of Emmanuel is God is with us. Now, this is vital to the Christmas story, that God came to us in the person of Jesus Christ, and that the Savior that would save people and the king that would rule over all those things can only be accomplished because jesus is god himself and that's what we see god is with us these are great words of hope comfort and peace to us because god has come down to this world that so is is in desperate need of order so desperate need of life and god himself came to give us that he came as a baby a humble baby in a humble manger the king of the world, the savior of mankind would come and God came literally down to us as people. And we read this passage last night, but I do want to turn over this one more time in the book of John. Uh, Over in John, and this is another Christmas passage, it's talking about Jesus coming to dwell with us. I'm not going to read the whole passage here. But we're going to read verses 1 and then go out and skip down to verse 14 so they see what's happening here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we know that the Word is talking about Jesus. And in verse 2 it even says, He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being with Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has been come into being. In other words, He's God and He is the Creator. But then we see in verse 14, the same Word that is God, that is Creator, says this, And the Word... Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Here's the truth that we can understand. Jesus Christ, the baby born to Mary, laid in the manger, is God himself. Jesus Christ is God. 
You see, the Creator God, the Word, the One who created this world, the God, God Himself, as we're told in John 1, became flesh and dwelt among us. He came to live with us as dirty, sinful, hateful, rebellious people. And He chose to come, to send Himself down as a baby, to live a life with us, to live a perfect life around us, and to then eventually give His life on the cross for us, and then to rise again. We know that as the gospel. But like I said, Jesus, the Savior, no one can save us except the perfect God-man, the one who came to take that punishment that was perfect and could take the punishment for our sin so that we didn't have to face death. And also, uh, anointed one, king, he can't rule over anything if, if he's not the creator. And yet we see that he is the creator. And since he's the creator, he has rule and sovereignty over all things, everything that happens and all that goes on. Now, I want to make a good point here. I don't know where you are with us uh, today. I know some people come on Christmas and they don't necessarily uh, come to church all year round. And, and I don't know where you're at or what you believe about Christianity, what you believe about what's going on here, or if this is just a tradition for you. But I want to say this. The question's been asked of me several times. What makes you think, or what makes us as Christians think, that somehow our religion is the way to get to God? There's so many other religions. Why do we think ours is the right way to get to God? Well, we looked at this actually in our college group. The question is wrong when we ask, is Christianity the only way to get to God? Because actually, the truth of that question is no. Because listen to me, what I'm saying. In Christianity, it's different than every other religion. We don't get to God. God comes to us. There's a vital difference there. You see, what we believe, Christianity, the person of Jesus Christ, says something completely different than any other belief system in this world, any other religion, anyone else who says, look, there's other valid ways to get to God. We can never get to God. That's the whole point. We are sinful. We are, by nature, full of darkness And therefore, we can never reach God. We will never be good enough to reach God. We can't do that. Whatever other religions may call their God, we can't get to that point. It's never going to happen. We can't reach God. And so Christianity doesn't help us to reach God. Christianity teaches us that Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, came to us to save us. And so we don't reach to him. He reaches out to us. And that is the truth that we can cling to this Christmas. So I don't know what it is for you, but if you've been wondering that question, why is it that Christians think they have the handle on this? It's, we don't. Jesus came to us. We're not reaching him. He's reaching us. And, and, and so we see these names of Jesus, or of the Son of God. Jesus, Savior. He is, he's there to save us from our sins if we will trust in him and give our lives to him. He is Messiah, Christ, the Anointed One, King over all. And he is Emmanuel. God with us. He came, to, he reached down to us out of love so that we could have hope, peace, joy, love, all the things we talked about last night. So let's go real quickly, I want to give a summary because there's one other passage I want to get to and this isn't typically used as a Christmas passage because it doesn't tell the story of Jesus' birth. Yet this is probably one of, one of, if not the most powerful Christmas passages we could go to in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Philippians chapter 2, 
verses 5 through 11. And in this passage, this is going to give us a summary of these names that we've talked about today. So in Philippians 2, let's read. If I can find it. Uh, there we go. Have, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. There's the name there. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." All right, what we see here, this summary, we see here in, in Philippians, we see, first of all, in these first couple of verses, starting in verse 5, it says, look, Jesus, even though he was God and he was in the form of God, and he even didn't think that equality with God was something that he couldn't have, in other words, he's, he is God, came, humbled himself, emptied himself, and came as a bondservant or a slave, as a man, and became a likeness of men. And being found in appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death. So we see Emmanuel first, first off. We see Emmanuel is here. Even though the word isn't used, what we're told right here is very simple. Jesus, as God in heaven, humbled himself, came down to us like we just talked about. Makes us different than any other belief system. Because we know that Jesus came to us and we didn't come to him. And so we see God himself came down to be our savior and our king. We see Emmanuel in this passage. Then we also see this idea of death that I just read. That he was willing to come, humble himself to become a man. God and man, all one. He became to do that. But then not only that, but he, he gave us salvation through his obedient death. He died on the cross so that we could have salvation. Remember what Jesus meant. The Lord saves. Once again, here we're told, Jesus came, God came to the earth as a man to give his life for us. He is Jesus. He is Savior. And finally then, this last part of this passage is beautiful. because It says, after Jesus humbled himself and came and died for us. In verse 9 it says this, For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him, what? The name, which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, and those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to glory of God the Father. We see Christ, the anointed one, the King. God has given him a name above all other names. That, In other words, he has all authority over everything and over all the earth. That everyone will bow. Everyone will confess that he is Lord, that he is master, that he is king. You see, we see the third name in this passage of Christ. His name is exalted beyond all others and will be acknowledged by all. His name is acknowledged and will be bowed down to even because he is the rightful king. You see, Jesus was Savior God himself coming to save us and is king 
as God has set him over all things. So we see this passage relating to us once again that the Jesus that we celebrate, the Son of God, that baby in a manger that we celebrate today, is not just a baby that happened to be named Jesus Christ, Emmanuel. This is the very Son of God who came. That God himself came as a baby to save us from our sins and to be king over all forevermore. That is the truth of Christmas. Babies are cute, but Jesus was more than just a cute baby. And his name reflects that. So what does this name mean for us as we conclude this morning? What does his name mean for us? So now that we know that these three names are vital to the Christmas story and to salvation and faith itself, Jesus, Christ, Emmanuel, what do these three names mean for us? How do we reflect God's name? What is it, how should we respond in knowing God's name, Jesus' name? Well, there's three things we can look at. Uh, back in John chapter 1, um, and we were already here once, we'll be there again. We were here last night. This is a great passage. But John 1.12, John 1.12, and this speaks of his name. It says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. The first thing we need to do when we understand the name of Christ, the name of the Son of God, is believe in his name. It doesn't just mean we believe that a man named Jesus Christ existed. What did we just talk about? A name is more than just his, how you identify him when you talk about him. A name is identity. Do you believe in Jesus' identity? Do you believe that Jesus truly is the Savior, that he can save you from your sin, that he can save you from death? Do you truly believe then that he is king over all and that he is sovereign and that you can trust him and that his life is, or your life is in his hands? And do you truly believe ultimately that Jesus is God? Do you believe that he, is, he created you, he loves you, he He's here for you. He is here, Emmanuel, God with us. We need to believe in his identity. When, when John says, receive him uh, and believe in his name, receiving Jesus is believing in everything he was and everything he is. It's not just believing he existed or that he was born on Christmas Day. It's believing that everything that he did and everything he was, his very identity, believing in him, that is true belief. And when we truly believe in him that way, it'll change the way we live. It'll change everything in our lives. Belief changes everything when we truly believe the identity of Jesus. That he has saved us, that he is king over us, and that he is God who created us and loves us and is there with us. So I don't know if you've believed on the name of Jesus. I don't know if today if you have believed in his name, believed in his identity but if you haven't, today is the day for salvation. Today is the day to call out to him. This Christmas, receive the greatest gift you can receive. Receive him. Receive his name. Receive his identity. Receive the Savior who wants to save you from your sins if you will only trust in him and believe in everything he stood for. And part of that process is we believe in his name. We need to believe, but we also need to do something else with his name. And that is we must call on his name. We must call on his name. Over in the book of Romans, we see this concept. We must call on the name of Jesus. We must call on this name that we've talked about. 
Romans 10, 9 through 13. In Romans 10, 9 through 13, this is what we see. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in him in your heart that he is, God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with his mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. But there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for all the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, we can believe that Jesus is Savior and He's Christ the King and He's God Himself that has come to us. We can believe that with everything we are, but that believing should result in a calling on Him, calling on His name. This doesn't mean just calling out Jesus Christ. Uh, it has this, this idea of that we are confessing to Him. We, and that is said earlier in the passage that we need to confess with our mouths and we need to believe in our hearts Those two things go together. We believe in Jesus. We believe in everything he stood for. We believe in his identity. But now we also call on it by affirming his identity, submitting to his identity, and asking and asking for him to save us as he's promised he will. We believe in who he is, who he was, everything about him, and then we call upon him. And we say, Lord, save me. I submit to your name. Quick illustration of this is we don't... We don't usually call this and say this anymore, but it used to be if you were very sick and you weren't going, we'd go to the doctor's office, but it used to be before then you would actually, doctors would come to you in your house. Some of you may remember that time. And what would, what would be said when you needed the doctor would be like, I'm going to call on the doctor. Uh, now, interesting phrase there. You're not just saying that you're going to call out the doctor and say, call out the doctor's name, like Dr. So-and-so. No, you're calling on him. You are asking him to come you are trusting that he's going to be able to heal you and you are submitting to him. You're saying, I can't heal myself. I need a doctor. I'm calling on a doctor, if that makes any sense. In the same way, we call on Jesus. We call on his name. We say, Jesus, please come. Please save me. Jesus, I trust you. I submit to what you're going to do. I need you to heal me. I need you to save me. That's calling on God. That's calling on the name of Christ. So we believe in everything he is. And we call him based on what we believe. We call to him. And when we do that, uh, when we call on him, it does require something we call repentance. Because it requires us to say, you know what, I'm done living life my own way. And I'm going to submit to the one I'm calling on. I'm going to turn away from living the way I shouldn't. And I'm going to call on him because I know he's the one that has the answers. He is the one that can save. It's the difference of living for ourselves versus living for him. So we must believe on his name. We must call on his name. And this is for all of us today. Even if you have believed on his name and called on his name and you are saved today, you have salvation and you know you, ha- you do and you know you're going to see him in heaven. You're going to have a relationship with him forever. Even if you know those things, there's one of the things that we need to thing that we need to do with his name. And that is seen in the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 speaks to all of us as we think about the name that has been given to Jesus. His name. How should we respond? Well, in Colossians 3.17, this is what we read. Whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, 
giving thanks to him through God the Father, through him to God the Father. So whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. See, we must live for his name. We must believe on his name. We must call on his name. And if you haven't done those things, make this Christmas the time, as I said, you accept the greatest gift ever, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, the gift God gave to you so you could be saved. Receive him. Call on him. Believe in him. Once we've done that, we are all called as Christians to live for his name. This doesn't just mean that we walk around and say, Oh, I'm doing this in Jesus' name. Okay, that might be part of it, but what this is all about is we reflect his identity. He's Savior, he's King, he's God. We need to reflect that to the world around us in how we live. We live for his name. We live not just to give, to, to say it out loud, to, get, to identify ourselves. I mean, just calling ourselves a Christian, that's one thing, but... We need to live by it. We need to live by his identity, live in his identity, and know that we can continue to live our lives and shine his identity to the world around us because we are called to live for his name. And that's what we can do this Christmas. You see, maybe we've believed in him and we've called on him, but today you have an opportunity to live for his name, live for his identity, teach his identity, show his identity to the world around you whether it's family, friends, wherever it might be, we are called as Christians not only to believe and call on his name, but also to live for his name. In just a second, we're going to sing that song we sang last once again as it sings of Emmanuel, God with us. You see, because once again, all of these things, we couldn't be saved, we couldn't have a king, we couldn't even live in his name if he wasn't God. Because none of it would matter. But Jesus, who lived a perfect life, gave himself for our sin, rose again to prove that sin and death had no power over him, now calls us to call on him, believe in him, and live for him. This Christmas, let us do that. Let us believe in him, let us call on him, and let us live for him. That is what we're called to do. And this Christmas, let us do that as our gift back to him. And... uh, So we're going to sing that song one more time, I believe, right? And we are going to sing that song one last time. And as we do, remember, God is with us this Christmas. Everybody, please stand.